Hello, this is Alana Sweetwater. Thank you for joining me on the Warrior Empath Podcast. Hello, everyone, and Happy New Year. Today is the first day of 2022, and so far it's been feeling really good. I wanted to introduce you to someone really special to me, really important to me, that I've known for, I don't know, like maybe 10 years now. Um, What did we meet, 2015? No. (laughs) (laughs) Neither of us are good with time. But this is my friend Maya, and she is one of my favorite empaths. When I met her, she was 17. And I had become great friends with her mom. I used to waitress at the Culver Hotel. And her mom was the accountant there. And I would go down and visit with her. And I would always change into my work uniform in her office so that we could talk. And she was just such a bright light in a very dark (laughs) place. And she would share with me poems and paintings and stories that her daughter had created And I just got such a sense from a really, from immediate uh, viewing of her work that she was an empath and that she was really extraordinary. And so I had said that I really wanted to meet her. And when I finally did meet her, I just grabbed her and gave her a huge hug because I felt such a connection with her already. And then I ended up adopting her sort of as a little sister, and I would pick her up and take her on dates, and we would have some fascinating conversations. In fact, the conversations she was able to have with me then were more profound than most people that I knew of any other age. And so she was one of the people that helped me really know that Empaths are able to connect with each other at any age, and it's really not about time. It's about like-mindedness. So this is Maya. She's had a really incredible life and journey so far, and we're just going to have a conversation so that you guys can get to know her. So this is Maya. Hello, everybody. My name is Maya, as she already said. So... What do we want to talk about today? <laughs> Were we just talking about how we met? Well, I think one thing that was interesting that we were talking about at lunch was the idea of you being sensitive to energy. And you were saying at the time that we met, you weren't comfortable with people just t- coming up and touching you and that that was something unusual, that, that you felt comfortable with me doing that. Oh, right. It was, it's so invasive at the time. I mean, even now, honestly, I mean, the act of touching is such a personal thing. And I always felt a lot of noise whenever somebody decided that they were going to touch me, mostly without consent, whether it just be a hug or a a hand on the shoulder. And I distinctly remember my mom being very excited for me to meet Alana and I felt excited too and I remember the night that we met you were performing and I'd loved the performance I she did a bunch of covers about well one of them was Taylor Swift 
<laughs> you, were, you were dancing and then you told the audience, I get way raunchier than this. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like me. <laughs> yeah. And um, after you were done performing or maybe it was a break, you came up and just hugged me right on the spot and I just felt quiet. And it was one of the more profound moments in my life just because I was able to experience what I felt like everyone else was and it was just a hug mm, I love you um I remember on one of our dates we went and had um pie and went to the beach and we were talking and at the time, you were saying, you know, I think there's something wrong with me that I don't like people to touch me. And what I gathered was something very different, that you were just an empath and that you were energetically sensitive. And so uh, it wasn't just about someone touching you, but what was the energy behind the touch and feeling the person and... Uh, the expectation, and that the idea was sort of proposed to you, like, what if this was a superhero power instead of a problem? <laughs> Do you remember that? <laughs> was such a, what a breakthrough that was. I mean, you feel like such a freak day in and day out, you know, when somebody is trying to do just a normal act, right? They're just reaching out, and they are trying to connect with you, and you're rejecting that connect conventional um reach out you know mm. and so you immediately think well society is kind of rejecting me what do I do and when actually you just wanted to be able to have a choice about who you connected with and how right right that I but that was such a breakthrough to think well I'm a superhero that can figure out who is the good guy or not yeah who, and you have, like, a laser-sharp intuition about people. I've, I feel like from the time you were 17, you were someone I would trust my life with. That is a lot. <laughs> it's, it's complete trust in your intuition and in, in your sense of inner navigation. So, people, this her story is really remarkable because when I met Maya it seemed like for sure she was going to be a full full-time artist she was creating so much work so many different kinds so prolific and incredibly articulate and just brilliant and then one day she announces to me that she's joining the navy <laughs> and I was like what the fuck? I just <laughs> totally did not see that coming at all. So could you tell me a little bit about what led to that decision? And just like, did you know what you were committing to fully at that time? Just how, oh, how did that happen? No, absolutely not. No, I had no idea what I was doing. Um, I kind of want to shake myself because I kind of just jumped into the Navy. Um, all I knew really was that... I um I didn't really want to go to college and I saw this 
big orientation and was walking around the campus with my parents and they slapped down a bunch of paperwork and at the end of all of it it said $150,000 and I knew I knew in my heart that I didn't want to pay that kind of money I didn't want to be responsible for that kind of money I didn't want it hanging over my head I wanted to make my own destiny and I thought that by doing that I needed to make my own path it's and it's hard because it's not like I wanted to flip a burger you know that was like the biggest uh challenge for me because that's the only job you could do Mm -hmm. really as a uh, high school graduate but the navy brought this opportunity this this uh you could be anything you wanted. You could be an engineer. You could fly a plane. Really anything. And it sounded so cool. <laughs> and I almost got lost in the fact that it was going to be a massive challenge for me. I was mostly hung up on the idea that I wanted to be self-sufficient. Which is totally understandable. And brave. I mean, to me, what I thought was amazing about it was you swung to the opposite extreme of what I knew your nature to be and put yourself in a really um, completely opposite environment where you had to become strong in it and you had to become well-versed in it. And I I think it's incredible. Um, how was it being a empath in the Navy? Like, did... Did you feel like you kind of um, thrived under the the structure of it and the rules of it, um, or did you feel like it was profoundly repressive? What was your experience? There was a lot of crying. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'll start with boot camp. Really, I'm. You go into it knowing that they don't want you to be an individual and you have this knowledge. You have to be a team. And that's understood as a concept. But then you get there and you don't sleep for two days and you went, oh my God, what did I do? And everything is gray and plain and thin and cold and everybody's yelling at you. You're doing everything wrong. And yeah, you just want to cry. <laughs> and um, they really just break you down into a nothing and build you back up into a team. You're no longer a person. You are the unit. Mm-hmm. And it's imperative to the mission and not necessarily to your well-being yeah. You mentioned that that the people that you knew that were doing the best, like handling it the best, are all now dead. Mm. Well, yeah. They're... Mm. It's okay. It's totally okay. <laughs> it's okay. oh yeah that's hard um well we had this one guy um i was on deployment with him 
And he was the life of the party, really. I mean, this guy was friends with everybody. And I thought, man, I wish I could be like him, right? Like, what am I doing wrong? Uh, I always seem to say the wrong thing, and the group seems to stop talking when I come in the room, and man, I just, I wish I could just get up and make a fool of myself and have everybody just like me. And really what that was was a uh, a party mentality, a coping mechanism that came out. It, it was his way of coping, and it wasn't healthy and it wasn't sustainable and I understand that now and really his story is one that made me realize that nobody is really coping in the same way Hmm. everybody handles pain and trauma differently I I don't think there is a right way. For some people, it's trying to put on a happy face and act like we're good. And for some people, they need to talk about it and work through it. I always was grateful for music because that was kind of my outlet to get it out of me. The military does not encourage emotion. So, really, the best way to cope is partying. I mean, alcohol. People snuck alcohol into the ship all the time. And you would have moments like that where camaraderie was um, really just coping. And the circle that we made for ourselves was a, a big mask. That's interesting, because don't you kind of see that in regular life, too? I mean, out in the world every day? I I do, but I find that the military was a more extreme version of that. Mm-hmm. I mean, you really had no reprieve. Um, I like to call it, like, Chinese water torture, right? So... You start it out and you get strapped into a chair and there's a lot of dread, but you're kind of still excited. You don't really know what's ahead. And it's kind of the same as coming on board the ship and you're looking around and you're like, well, this doesn't look like a great place, but I mean, there's still opportunity here. And then you go on your first underway, you go out to sea. And the first day is, okay, the food's not great, but the people are okay. And then one day becomes two weeks, becomes a month, and the water starts dripping on your forehead. And you start to feel like you want to get away from it. You want to turn your head, but you can't. It's still dripping in the same spot. And the food never gets better. The people start to get a little irritable. The work gets harder. There's drills. 
Um, then the water starts to hurt. And now you're not getting away because it's uncomfortable. You're getting away because you need to. But you can't. So you're still enduring and you're still going. And there's watches and 12-hour shifts and... Um, And you can't go home. Wow, why is this so hard? It's, it's the truth. And it's good. It's good. It needs to come out. Sometimes we don't even realize we have endured something traumatic like you're talking about Chinese water torture just like it slowly slowly got worse you know and so it's there's a numbing effect too and so now we're just talking about the real feelings uh Yeah, trying to be a person that feels emotion in a place that is so unforgiving and the people around you are feeling nothing but anger and negativity and a need to get out. Mm. It's hard to go from that and then go back home and try to be the same person. Yeah. I would imagine that's impossible. <laughs> so how was it coming home? And, you know, I actually don't think I really knew how badly it had affected me until I went home, hmm. until I got out. Um, and I had such a loss of identity. I... Didn't, I don't remember who I was before, really. I, couldn't, I can't grasp the feeling. It all feels so numb. Mm -hmm. And regaining that is still quite a challenge, actually. Trying to come back, not to like the same place, but to like muscle through the fog and get to the top of the mountain and see where I'm at anyways. Just where am I? See the path. I don't even know what I'm saying anymore. <laughs> I do. I I mean, I understand. And earlier you said, you know, this is the happiest I've ever been now. Yes. I um, recently got a house with my fiancé. And just, it's this big, empty house. And again, it's so full of possibilities. And... It feels like a new chapter, and it feels like the thing that I need. And I don't know what to do with it. It's it's massive. There's this. It's so big. It, the, everything about it is massive, and I don't know how to fill it up. Hmm. Hmm. <sighs> 
Isn't it weird that we feel like we have to fill space? Well, I just, it's not necessarily filling it, but I am so used to there being a full space. Mm -hmm. There's no room. Mm -hmm. I had 60 square feet for (laughs) so long, and all of my stuff fit into one room Mm -hmm. at, at best. And I not I don't necessarily want to fill it up. I just I don't know if I can. Well, it's interesting because I feel like the house is also symbolic of how you feel inside. You know, there's all this space. There's all this potential. Anything is possible. And you can be anything you want. And you can fill your home and create a home any way you want. And sometimes all of those options are overwhelming, like walking into a bookstore without looking for a particular book. But this is the exciting part because it's the beginning. Right. I I totally hear what you're saying. It's... Mm. <laughs> all, all of these emotions are things that I've kind of put on the back burner because you think the hard part's over. You're you've made it, you know. So it's almost alien for me to be even talking right now and feeling like this. I think. Um, I think perhaps I. Uh, let things get pushed down for too long. Yeah, maybe, but it's never too late to start new. And what a perfect day. <laughs> it's a new year. year, and every day is a new day. You know, looking back and referencing our past and looking to our past to define who we are is really unconscious, not creative. Uh, it's it's what most people do, but I think that empaths are a little bit more creative than that, and we realize that we can choose and define ourselves every day. We can make that decision. We have free will. We have free will. She has that tattooed on her arm. That's why I'm referencing it. Oh, yeah, I, I love Rush, mm. and... The song Free Will has always been a very um, important song to me. It's actually how me and my fiancé met. Um, I had my sleeves rolled up, and all you saw was just this red mark, and he was like, that's Rush, isn't it? (laughs) I was like, how the hell did you discern that from a red mark on my arm? But I just knew right then that... Like somebody so uh he just paid attention, you know, yeah, he was present enough to recognize something really important to you, right, and we were strangers, mhm, mhm, and you feel like he gets you, and that's really the most important part. Is that he gets it. He gets me. Mm -hmm. 
How awesome is it when we find people that get us? It's yeah. pretty hard without that. Yeah, it, it's really hard to feel alone or to even be alone. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So we talked a little bit about what would be the thing that you would want to say to your younger self. We, we were talking <laughs> about like how cool it would be to have like an empath instruction manual for when we were younger. Mm-hmm. What would be something that you would want to say to the younger you knowing what you know now? Well, I would say that everybody is insecure and nobody really knows the path. And more specifically, nobody knows your path. And you really, really need to look within yourself and understand where you want to go. And you really, if people are criticizing you, you can't listen to them. It's their own insecurity talking. Hell yes. (laughs) God damn, that's good. I really wish I knew that back then, too. I remember when my mom was going through chemo, she was really sick, and um, she said, I wish it didn't take me getting cancer to stop giving a shit what everybody thought of me. I always think about that because, of course, we want to please the people we respect or love or care about. But at the end of the day, nobody knows but you what you truly need, what truly makes you feel loved, what truly makes life worth living for you. And that's an unfolding journey that we're all on. We all have to find that for ourselves. But I think when we have people who love us around it helps because we just hold the space for each other and say, I trust you. I know you know what you're doing. Just keep choosing love. Keep believing in yourself. Yeah, and that's all you can really do is your best. I mean, if someone doesn't like you at your best, you gotta just walk away, right? <laughs> yeah, because it gets a lot more raunchy than this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. If someone can't be around you when you're crazy. Because we're all very weird. Everybody. Mm -hmm. Everybody. Everybody's got weird glitches. You know, issues, triggers, insecurities, fears. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Are you okay? That was a lot. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I did not expect that question. Thank you so much for trusting me because mm-hmm. I know what a big deal that is. I'm honored that you do. And I feel fiercely protective of you and, and loyal to you and just cherish the, the woman you are. And um, thank you for being willing to share this with other people that might have really needed to hear that just to know that they're not alone or weird (laughs) right and you know I really do want to say that you are truly the most unique person I've ever met and I really don't know where I would be without you and I love you
Well, that's it for today. (laughs) (laughs) Put a pin on that. (laughs) This was cathartic and amazing. And we'll catch up with you guys next week. And um, yeah, anybody that has any subjects you want to talk about, I've been getting some really cool requests and I will be making podcasts in response to them. But thank you so much for listening and being a part of our constellation because we really do need each other and I'm so glad to have you and I'm so glad to have all of you. So thank you. Support was time I'd bribe the sun If the only thing Keeping us apart Was space I'd drive